Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Great America Podcast with Lou Dobbs, always in the fight for truth, justice, and yes, our American way of life. And now, here he is, the Peabody Award-winning voice of truth, the great Lou Dobbs. Welcome to this edition of The Great America Show. Great to have you with us, and we have for you much more on the election of 2020. Oh, what did I say? The election of 2020? I know we're not supposed to talk about that. Talk about the integrity of our elections. That's not done here in 2022. Or in the case of 2020, we shouldn't be talking about the lack of integrity. Uh, Big tech and social media oligarchs, well, they're not happy when we talk about their censorship or their ban of anyone who fails to follow the national left-wing narrative. 2020, they say, is, well, it's over, done, and Joe Biden won. And both statements are actually true and not in dispute as far as I'm concerned. But what is in dispute is how did Biden win? And why have so many agencies and courts and various jurisdictions refused to investigate what were clearly irregularities, anomalies of various sorts and kinds, fraud, and simple outrages in the 2020 election? Did any of those or all of those questionable events or occurrences result in enough of an impact on the vote to change the outcome? significantly sufficient to have put a man in the Oval Office who didn't belong there? Now, that's an interesting question. I don't know the answer, but I do know that lots of questions, including that one, have gone unanswered from 2020. Too many in authority have refused to investigate that election, despite the obvious, let's call them problems. And that is simply the truth. But a new development in one of the contested states in the 2020 election may yet give us insight and some answers and even possibly motivate a broader nationwide demand for truth and honesty, yes, and integrity in our electoral system. The Secretary of State of Georgia has now called for an investigation of claims that Illegal vote harvesting in the state may have altered the outcome of Georgia's election. So reports a man who is always seeking the truth, John Solomon of Just the News. And John, welcome to the Great America Show and congratulations on what looks to be a great story. How big a story is it? How big a development is it in your well, judgment? Just think about it. It's, it's, it was a year ago this month, Lou, that, that Brad Raffsenberger, the Secretary of State, went on 60 Minutes and said, I thought we had a fair and secure and safe election. And he has maintained that line. But in recent weeks, he has become privy to information provided by a group called True the Vote, run by a conservative woman named Catherine Engelbrecht, that uh, points at a very large potential a legal harvesting campaign. So people may not know what harvesting is. It is when a third party goes and collects other people's ballots and then takes them to the ballot box and drops them in. In most states, California being a rare exception because California is so different, uh, most states make that unlawful. It's illegal to take another party's ballot and deliver it for them. What Catherine Engelbrecht found when she went out and got millions of minutes of videotape that covered the, these boxes, a surveillance camera covering these boxes, was that people were coming at between 12 o'clock in the morning and five in the morning, an odd time for someone to be voting and bringing large stacks of ballots. And I've seen some of this video footage. And right. sometimes they have so many in their hand, they're dropping them on the ground. They can't keep them all together. And then they're shoving, stuffing these uh, absentee ballots into the box. That's clearly uh, what what is known under the law to be harvesting. Now, Catherine went further. She went and got the cell phone 
ping data, what we call it. It's called geospatial data for cell phones. That mm -hmm. showed these cell phones of these activists at the box at the very moment you see them on the camera. So the FBI does this when they're putting together a terror case or when they're putting together a murder case. They'll go out and buy commercial data uh, and show, you know, Joe Smith was at the murder scene. His cell phone was right there when we say that that's the guy in the video you see shooting the victim. Uh, well, that's what she did. She went out and got this. And what she found were there were 242 people who made a total of more than 5,000 trips to these drop, uh, drop boxes, these ballot drop boxes in Georgia between the November election uh, and then the January runoff where the U.S. Senate was decided. That is a mass ballot harvesting scheme, according to her. And she went one step further. And I think this is what got Raffsenberger so interested. They were able to secure testimony uh, and admission from one of the ballot harvesters. He sat with them and met with them for several hours and said, absolutely, I was paid by a bunch of nonprofits. I'd go around each night, collect ballots from these nonprofit groups, and I'd walk them over to the ballot box, drop them in. We'd turn around, take a picture of ourselves at the drop box so we could get paid. And I got paid. $10 every time for every ballot that I dropped into that box. The guy, I believe, made something like $45,000, which means he harvested 4,500 4, ballots, nearly half of the difference between uh, Joe Biden and Donald Trump. That's just one of the 242 people who made 5,000 trips. So that data was given in the form of a complaint to Brad Raffsenberger, and he came on my podcast today and said, uh, "I'm this is serious stuff, it's credible. I'm investigating it, and I may be issuing subpoenas in the next few days. Well, that is, it's a, a huge story. Uh, and, and I guess at this point, as we look at this, what is, what is uh, the potential here uh, for ballot harvesting? That is, how many ballots? Uh, and it, it sounds like it would dwarf the margin uh, uh, that uh, Trump lost by. Uh, and I'm talking about a margin of some 12,000 votes. Right. Uh, this sounds like tens of thousands of votes. That's what the uh, that's what the complaint alleges. If you assume that each time a person came, they delivered somewhere between 10 and 20 ballots, which is what the witness said he would deliver each night, you'd have 50 to 60,000 ballots among those 5,000 plus uh, trips that were made by those 242 alleged ballot traffickers. And so it is of a scale that could have clearly impacted the election. And also, uh, Catherine's team at True the Vote only focused on five urban counties around Atlanta. It doesn't even look at other parts of the state. And so uh, this is of a scale and a size that could could have been impactful to the outcome of the election. I think that's one of the things that Brad Raffsenberger is cognizant of. The first thing is he's got to secure the data, got to get the names, got to interview people and confirm this happened. Then the next step would be prosecutions. You prosecute some of the people. Some of that's already going on in Arizona, where Mark Burnovich, the attorney general, has indicted more than a half dozen people for illegal ballot harvesting. And in the most recent court filings, there are suggestings that Arizona believes this was a widespread thing, not just six people, right. maybe a more orchestrated thing. And I'm being told, and I've now done some interviews, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, there's also similar evidence. We could have four battleground states we're talking about involved in harvesting in the next couple of months. Now, this is really stunning stuff. True the Vote is one of the most outstanding uh, voter integrity uh, organizations, a nonprofit in the country. I've worked with, uh, with them for, yeah. uh, what, 20, 20 years. Absolutely. Uh, and they have great credibility. There should be no issue here whatsoever uh, with their credibility. Uh, the question will be uh, how persuasive is it to judges and a jury, I suppose. But yeah. this is, uh, and, and Raffensperger, he, when did he get this information and when did he make his decision based on that information? Because yeah. they've been saying this for some time. They have. have they not? They have. And, you know, I think one of the mistakes, if I call it that, you know, my reporting indicates it's a mistake. Originally, Catherine and her group took this to Governor Kemp and Governor Kemp just kind of fumbled this, really wasn't that interested in it, didn't try to get a subpoena, uh, sent it to the GBI. GBI said, if you don't volunteer it to us, we're moving on, we're not interested. And uh, But it, just in the last few weeks, you know, late uh, October into November, there were meetings between Catherine Engelbrecht and Raffsenberger staff and a formal complaint was filed on November 30th. And within a couple of weeks, even with the holidays and everything else, Raffsenberger said, we're going full bore. This investigation has been ongoing, my reporting indicates, for a couple of weeks now. So within a couple of weeks of the complaint, they were already going full bore. And I think that's important. The idea that they may be at the subpoena level next tells you that they've advanced the investigation beyond preliminary.
Let me go back to the Georgia Bureau of Investigation, which has mm. a good reputation as an oh, investigative agency. They're very uh, good. Not, uh, what was the reason that they would not move forward with at least an investigation in this based on through the votes uh, <laughs> complaint? I think uh, they wanted through the vote to volunteer all the names and all the work that they had done. And there are some legal issues when you're dealing with the compilation of cell phone records of yep. video footage. And I think uh, True the Vote would have preferred to have a subpoena to turn this information over so it was covered by a legal protection. And uh, rather than resolve that, rather than being curious or aggressive like a GBI or Governor Kemp could have been, they kind of just said, all right, you don't want to cooperate and turn these things over willy-nilly, we're moving on. That, you know, that's fine in between the dispute between two groups, but it doesn't serve the voters of Georgia really well. These were serious allegations. Anyone who saw the video footage can say, well, I see a person stuffing 20 ballots in the box. That's not right. Uh, cool. I think the lack of curiosity is what harmed me. But you're right. GBI is a very respected news, uh, a very respected law enforcement organization, does great work. You, you've seen this with both the FBI and GBI. These political cases involving elections, these law enforcement people are a little nervous to touch it. Uh, but the Secretary of State is the right place for this investigation to occur. He's the enforcer of laws. And it's important to remind people because you know, uh, Raffsenberger got a bad rap with the Trump people after the yep. November election. But in 2019, Brad Raffsenberger went to the legislature and said, you know what? I think Democrats are going to try to illegally harvest in the state. And our laws are a little squishy. He got the legislature in 2019, ahead of the 2020 election, to outlaw more explicitly any form of uh, harvesting. And so he got a tougher law in place. Then Stacey Abrams went about and, and, and Mark Elias, the other Democrats, they went about and said, we do want to do these drop boxes. And he said, OK, if you could do the drop boxes, I want to guard against harvesting. So I, I want cameras on every box. And so he forced the counties to put cameras on the boxes. But here's where he dropped the ball. He didn't ever look at the footage. So the election passes. He never goes and does an audit of the footage. What good is the video footage if you don't look at it? Thankfully, Catherine did and uh, delivered the sort of evidence that now warrants an investigation. And Governor Kemp has, uh, as the saying goes in Georgia, some splaining to do yeah. because of the uh, reticence of the GBI. Uh, it's, uh, everyone will be very curious about what was the oh. governor's posture That's uh, right. with his agency that reports to him, uh, uh, the GBI I'm referring to. Yeah, absolutely. Listen, I mean, again, maybe the governor is not the right place to go. Right, The governor does the political policy. Law enforcement agencies are the right place. And in election law, the secretary of state is the right repository for a complaint like this. Yeah. I think at the end of the day, it landed at the right place and the right people are looking at it. Now let's hope they do the job thoroughly because you know, the video footage I've seen, some of the cell phone record uh, data analysis I've seen is very strong. And by the way, this cell phone data analysis is called geospatial location data. Mm -hmm. The FBI uses this a lot now to solve national security cases. Uh, you can buy this data from third party brokers and assemble a pattern of life for a defendant or a suspect. And they solve crimes and they stop terror attacks using this data. It's very respected form of investigation. And uh, Catherine's people did it pretty well. And we're gonna see, see how the Secretary of State does with it. Well, uh, former President Trump was it appears uh, wrong about Raffensperger, but certainly on target uh, with Governor Kemp. Uh, this is this is deeply disturbing that he did not take uh, a great initiative. Uh, yeah, he, a lack of curiosity, and, lack of political will. Uh, you is, know, if if someone this, says they're cheating in your state, you should want to go to the bottom. And if they get some resistance, you don't stop at the first resistance. You keep digging. That's what we need more of in Washington and in well, these states. We need more courageous people. Right. Well, Raffensperger uh, seems to be a, a man who has been uh, maligned and has taken on uh, the issue of voter integrity as Secretary of State. He should, and he should do it in an animated, energized, highly energized uh, fashion, and that uh, at least this is happening. But my yeah. Lord, we're talking about more than a year after yeah. the event. This that is, is talking about voter suppression. This is suppression of evildoers in the state of Georgia. And we know that Kemp uh, was at the best we could say for him. He was lethargic and indifferent to these claims. Uh, but it also makes it very clear that Stacey Abrams and Mark Elias, two of the Democratic Party's best known uh, operators and activists, 
they should have been on on guard from the moment that they even smelled their presence uh, near those drop boxes. Yeah, it's very important to remind people that Mark Elias sued Rassenberger in 2020s, trying to overturn the ban on harvesting. And I'm going to have a story in a day or so, in the next 24 hours, following up on this Raffensburger thing. I'll give you a little insight to it. He wrote a memo or uh, an article to voting activists in March 2020, so eight months before the election, saying there are four ways we're going to win. And one of those four ways, he called the four pillars, was he needed to get harvesting made legal in some of these battleground states. So he sued in Arizona. He lost there. Of course, the Supreme Court recently affirmed that loss. And then he sued in Georgia, and he did. Now the question is, did other people, after Elias and others, you know, got turned down and said, you, you can't do harvesting, did they put together an operation to work around the law? That's certainly what Catherine Engelbert's evidence points toward. And we're going to probably get an answer from Brad Raffsenberger in the next few months, if not few weeks. Well, uh, that, it, it's, ter it's terrific reporting on your part. It is uh, good that Raffensperger uh, has done this. It's better than good. It's outstanding. I, I, I lament that it's a year later. Uh, and I'm sure that uh, True the Vote is upset as well, but uh, good for them. But uh, these nonprofits that were circulating this bounty for each vote by, if it's 50 to 60,000 votes, we're talking about it. This wasn't a cheap operation. We're talking about a half no. million, $600,000. That's just in those five counties uh, as it, it's claimed now. Uh, I, I mean, this is major stuff. These do we have a list of these nonprofits that were involved in uh, running that ballot harvesting operation? We don't. Uh, that's one of the things that uh, Raffsenberger is subpoenaing from Engelbrecht's group, and we'll get. Uh, but I haven't seen it. I don't know who they are. To get to the scope and scale and cost, though, just take the one John Doe witness, the guy that's identified right. in the complaint is John Doe. He said he got paid $10 a ballot, and he got paid a total between the general election in November and the runoff in January $45,000, just one guy, $45,000 at $10 a ballot. That means he delivered approximately 4,500 other people's ballots to these boxes. That is a huge scale when you realize there are 242 more people like him. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, it sounds like I may be uh, very conservative in my estimate about the, uh, the, the dollar scale yeah, of this thing. It could it, be very expensive. You're right. It's stunning. So at this point, I, Let's just uh, do a little what if here, if we could, uh, John. What if uh, they substantiate this? There is a case. This means that the Democratic Party is going to have a lot of answering to do. Uh, and, and the reason I say that uh, is very straightforward. Uh, they obviously are the beneficiaries and therefore the number one suspect, right? But secondly, we are seeing in all of these states and, uh, you know, the half dozen states across the country that have got irregularities, anomalies, uh, apparent, uh, you know, uh, fr uh, fraud or what could be fraud, but no one investigated. None of yeah. the state investigative agencies did a thing and still have it. Uh, the Federal Bureau of Investigation was uh, sort of sticking its nose in the air saying, well, we can't be involved in partisan politics. Well, the Democrats count on that. They count on having district attorneys who won't prosecute cheating. They won't investigate cheating. Uh, and Such they know a great it. point. And we're looking at a party that has become uh, a, a lawless, I, I mean, this is the hole in the wall gang for crying out loud, the Democratic Party. Uh, we've got to get to the bottom of that and get it fixed. And these and these nonprofits have got to be investigated. Yeah, for that's the next phase, it. right? It, yes, if you find absolutely. The, if you find the ballot harvesters, then you got to go after the money sources that paid for this and organize it. And so we're looking at a long-running investigation that may not just involve prosecution of the individuals, but could lead to IRS referrals, tax referrals, FBI referrals. I think we're at the beginning of a very long game. And I've said this to some people very much like you helped me do with Russia, you and Sean, when we unraveled Russia, it took two years to unravel the Russia story. My guess is it's going to take us a good year to get to the bottom of just how sophisticated this ballot harvesting operation may have been. You know what, John, you know, something that just might help a little bit in accelerating that time. What's that? Uh, it would be really nice if the FBI, upon hearing the evidence that Raffensperger uh, has uh, presented to him, uh, were to get uh, to get involved.
Yep. But the Georgia Bureau of Investigation can get to this much faster than the FBI, because the FBI, is, as you know, I have some significant feelings about this. The FBI seems to be the place where truth has gone to die <laughs> in too many cases. And there's been some truth to that. Absolutely. Sadly. But if we could get the, you know, Raffensperger needs to hold a news conference and announce his uh, findings yeah. publicly and encourage other secretaries of state, other governors and other state officials and other investigative agencies in those states. And I'm talking about, obviously, Nevada and Wisconsin and Michigan and Arizona and Pennsylvania. Right. Pennsylvania. Uh, yeah. It's it, this could be very helpful, but it's time for people to understand a lot of what happened was crooked. And and the only people who aren't recognizing uh, are the agencies and the governments of the of the power establishment in this country that refuse to uh, acknowledge the uh, the voter concern that is out there. And I'm not talking about just half of the of the folks out there voting for Trump. We're talking about all good citizens in this country want that electoral system to be one of integrity and security. Uh, and it obviously is not that. Yeah, you know, there's another thing going on, Lou, and it's going to also happen this month and in Georgia. If you remember back in the summer, I broke a story that there was this 29-page report that Brad Raffensperger got from Fulton County, which is where Atlanta is. It's the largest voting metropolis. And it laid out the sort of things that would make people's blood boil. Double scanning of ballots, people's voter IDs being left out so you could see how they were voting and who they were. Um, uh, people saying they were there to mess up Donald Trump's chances of winning uh, just horrific bad conduct in the voting center at Atlanta. And over the last six months, Brad Raffensperger has initiated a process to remove all of the Fulton County election supervisors and to take Fulton County for the first time in Georgia history into state receivership, meaning that the state government will run Fulton County's election in 2022 when the Congress is at stake, in 2024 when the president's at stake. The final recommendation to do that is due later this month. But that's another example. You, I started doing interviews. How long, you know, was this just a 2020 thing? This had been going on since the 1990s and every right. governor, <laughs> secretary of state kicked the ball down the road. Yeah. I, I, as a matter of fact, I, I, I worked in Georgia for uh, part of uh, my career. That's right. And let, and let me tell you, Fulton County is dirty as it gets politically. It and, sure and, is. And, and by the way, this isn't a slur on uh, Georgia or anything else, because every almost every state in the union has, you know, whether it's Cook County, Illinois, whether it's Wayne County and Michigan, you know, you know, this, you know what this we're talking about here. And, and and they have decades of corruption to overcome. But that doesn't mean that we can just simply ignore the thought that is is just the news reports about the investigation uh, in Georgia into ballot harvesting, the thought that if that goes across a number of states, we may have an illegitimate president sitting in the Oval Office today, right now. And if that doesn't occur to everyone right now, there's something wrong where they're thinking, whether you're Republican or Democrat, because that is not the way a constitutional republic, a democracy works. Yeah, you're, you're so right. 100% right. So, I, I'm sorry, go ahead, John. Uh, one of the things I, you know, I, it's been interesting to watch as, as this story has unfolded in the last few hours, um, how many people were nodding saying, well, I, you know, I kind of knew that was going on. I knew that was going on. I'm like, well, you're in a position of power. Why not find out if it was going on? I can't tell you the number of people I talked to from Georgia said, oh, yeah, we kind of knew. About, I mean, well, you know, what? if one party is constantly harvesting ballots, uh, the liberals, and the Republicans don't do it, the Republicans have put themselves at an unfair advantage. That's not a system Americans want to see. One party has an unfair advantage. This is going to, I think you're going to see five or six states have big conversations about it. I think Wisconsin probably becomes a big issue in the next couple of weeks. Arizona, it's starting to crest there, and I think Pennsylvania. But uh, this didn't happen overnight. This was years of building out a system that could potentially create harvesting. There's a memo I mentioned to you that you know Mark Elias writes, that I'm going to write about tomorrow, where they, they, I, you know, they were pretty open about it. We want to do harvesting. Let's find a way to make it happen. Um, the Republicans and the Republican National Committee and a lot of those lawyers that sit at the RNC getting paid lots of money, this was their job to police the system. And they really let the Republican Party down. If this yeah. gets validated, 
some of the blame has to lie at the RNC where lazy lawyers did not go and challenge this stuff, even though the evidence was sitting out in public. Yeah, Ronald McDaniel, the chair of the RNC, uh, uh, told me personally that she had the this election uh, ready. The attorneys were dispersed and been positioned and ready to go. Uh, their ground game was terrific to turn out the vote. Uh, and the next thing, my phone is ringing uh, election night about from various Republican attorneys in Philadelphia, wherever it was across the country, who didn't know what the heck was going on. Yeah, they couldn't right. get through to uh, the chain of command that had been set up. Uh, they had they were being told they couldn't uh, go into the counting facilities. Uh, denied access, even though they were official watchers of the Republican Party. Uh, and, and here and now, who is the who is the chair of the Republican National Committee? It's Ronna McDaniel. Yeah. And I like her very much. But she yeah, she's a wonderful person. She failed. She failed utterly. And there should have been a replacement. And by the way, it was uh, Donald Trump's decision for her to be there. Uh, I think it was a terrible decision on the former president's part. Uh, I've made that very clear, but the RNC has to be reorganized and re-energized and led by people who know that it's 2022 and that everything that they do matters to the outcome. Do you agree? I do. Listen, the, the Democrats have Mark Elias. They have Stacey Abrams. These are, whether you hate them or love them, you disagree with everything they say. They're very aggressive, innovative, hard-driving people, and the Republicans don't have an answer to that. They're always on defense at best, and many days they don't even have their defense. You mentioned the moment in Atlanta where they found the ballots under there. You know, the, the people were concerned That's about okay, ballots, and right. people were being kicked out of the the, the observers. There was no Republican lawyer there to go to court at 10 o'clock and stop that at night. That is like basic 101 election uh, protection. And, you know, the guy who did it right, Glenn Youngkin, built an amazing system in Virginia for the 2021 election. The RNC should model that and take it because he had the right people at every location. And there were really no questions about Virginia and Republicans won. Well, uh I've got to tell you, I have a feeling that the next contest in Virginia will Maybe be a little different. <laughs> uh, the Democrats may revert to type, uh, is my guess, based on Youngkin's success. Absolutely. Uh, so, you know, this is great reporting, John, as always. I, thank and you. I, and I thank you for sharing your, your, your reporting with us. And we'll be following, as I know uh, our audience will, uh, just the news as it continues to uh, to report on this critically important issue. Uh, I'll just remind everybody of what Stalin said. Uh, he said he doesn't care who votes. He cares about who counts the votes. And that is a uh, something a that powerful everybody, reminder. Uh, that's something everybody should keep in mind. Uh, I know you, I, I know uh, also that you've got uh, you're aware that uh, our friend uh, Sean Hannity has been asked by the January 6th committee yeah. to uh, cooperate voluntarily with the right. January 6th uh, uh, committee. I wanted to get your uh, reaction to that. Well, uh, you know, Sean obviously had a lot of proximity to the president, had a unique relationship with the president. It's not surprising for political theater that the Democrats would do that. He's a journalist. You're a journalist. I'm a journalist. There ought to be some separation between the government's intrusion on our free speech activities. But, you know, during Ukraine, they put my phone records out there without ever even interviewing me, suggested what they showed when they didn't even know what they showed or what they were about. We have seen Adam Schiff and now his his sort of puppet master, uh, uh, Benny Thompson, not really be, regard the First Amendment or, or privilege or any of these things. So it's not surprising, but I think it's bad for journalism. It's bad for those in the free speech industry that Congress feels so emboldened that they can intrude on journalists' phone records, on in journalists' conversations, and on our reporting work. That's something that's not good for a democracy or a constitutional republic. Well, you and I shared a list uh, that had been drawn up apparently by the embassy uh, in, in Kiev, Ukraine uh, 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 of being monitored by the yes. uh, uh, a request that we be monitored. Uh, I always assumed we were. How about you? Yeah, oh, yes. I assume that everyone's <laughs> watching, including my mother, when I report. So I try to behave all the time. <laughs> well, I was just thinking of phone calls from one family member to another in our household. We always make that <laughs> assumption. But uh, 
I, I do uh, want to say, I, I think that it's just stunning that they would make that request because yeah. they know what they're doing. And if they can come after journalists, I mean, they did it with my former colleague, James they Rosen. Uh, That's right. Well, he, he and I were at Fox uh, News with, and that was the Obama administration, uh, the highly illiberal uh, liberal administration. Uh, it's so quick to, to do things that are, that are just simply stunning. Uh, yep. and roll back uh, years of tradition. And really, you know, I, I just, I, I dread to think uh, where we really are with surveillance, uh, this surveillance society that we live in now, and, and the fact that the deep state uh, has picked a side, and that side is definitely not uh, the Republican, conservative, independent uh, voter. Uh, it is the 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 left in this country. What do you think? Yeah, no, that's it. Listen, the media, the deep state bureaucracy and democratic activists clearly have been working together. That's the lesson of Russia collusion. And it may very well be the lesson of many of the other scandals that we're unraveling piece by piece by piece. And, you know, we're so blessed to have, you know, you have such an amazing bullhorn and an intellect. And we're so lucky. Reporters like I can do a lot of work. But if we don't get people who amplify it, we never get the truth out there. And all through Russia, you were there to get that truth out. And you made a huge difference in this country. And I think we have some more unraveling to do over the next couple of years. Well. Let me, if I may, reciprocate the plaudits and uh, <laughs> and do so to the to the third order. Uh, your work has been uh, critically important, and the work Thank that you, Just sir. the News does is just terrific. And I also want to congratulate you on getting Twitter to admit its error uh, in suspending your account yep. uh, over uh, your reporting on COVID. Totally uh, true story. They had to admit it. Yep. And uh, how, how how many hours did it take to get that reversed? Uh, just 12 hours. I was on timeout for 12 hours. I felt like a child getting a timeout from their parent when they didn't do it. My brother did it, but I got in trouble. <laughs> I hear you. That happened and, a few times when I was a kid. <laughs> well, and it's, you know, it, I, I will give Twitter some credit, uh, but most yes, of all, sir. I want to give you credit because you knew exactly how to handle it. You didn't go through a, a, a public... Uh, uh, in uh, review, you've, you've made it informal. And I think that was helpful too. And I think others should uh, learn uh, the, the lesson because rightly or wrongly, and I think it's mostly, uh, it's all wrong that they have that kind of power, whether it's Twitter or Facebook, uh, it, it's horrible to see it happen. And even though they totally didn't straighten agree. it out, their power is misplaced and the abuse yep. is, uh, they're is harming democracy. Yep. Absolutely. John, thanks so much. We appreciate it as always. Uh, John you, Solomon, sir. just the news. And uh, what a story. Uh, congratulations again. Thank you. Have a happy new year. You too. Happy new year. We'll continue in just one moment with more truth, justice, and the American way here on The Great America Show. This new year is looking a lot like the old year when taking a look at our politics and our so-called government. I say so-called because our federal government has become a dysfunctional and often confused assortment of indolent civil servants. Not all of them, but many of them, many of whom are neither civil nor servant, as a matter of fact, and many of them are part of the so-called deep state. And most of them have taken sides in America's great political conflict. And I don't have to tell you which side they've taken. They're forever bigger government, just like the Marxist radical Dems, greater government powers over citizens, and yes, ever fewer rights for private citizens whose hard work pays all those bills. I said at the outset of my remarks that this new year was looking a lot like last year when it comes to politics. One reason, Joe Biden's poll numbers are on the same trajectory, ever lower. And in poll after poll, Biden's approval numbers are at the lowest level of his presidency. It seems like he's been in office forever and his approval ratings in free fall forever. And some of you may be surprised that he's been in office less than a year. His first term at this rate will seem like a decade. I don't even want to contemplate the pain that he will likely cause this country over the next three years. But this year is also an election year. It's a year of opportunity, one in which we can make a difference by voting the fools, all of them, both the radical Dems and the spineless rhino Republicans, 
This year we'll find out whether conservatives and patriots are sufficiently motivated and concerned to vote in a government that actually cares about our citizens, cares about our families, their health and prosperity, and a government that actually delivers truth and justice and will preserve our American way of life. One of those who's leading the fight on Capitol Hill is Congressman Andy Biggs. Congressman Biggs is on the House Judiciary and Oversight and Reform Committees. He's co-chair of the Border Security Caucus and the Freedom Caucus. Congressman, great to have you with us. Welcome to the Great America Show. And your colleagues have been spending a lot of time back in your districts. You guys have uh, had a little vacation, and I, I think well-deserved, especially in your case. And I'm sure our audience would like to know what you've been hearing from your constituents back home, their concerns, and what they're thinking about this so-called government of ours. Well, Lou, great to be with you again. I'll tell you that. And, and I'll just tell you, uh, it's been good to be back for a couple of weeks here and get around in my district. And I, I'm fortunate I live in a district that, that uh, generally uh, takes a free, kind of a free approach on, on COVID stuff. So, so there's a lot of people out, a lot of folks I get to see uh, in their businesses. But, uh, and I also had a teletown hall while I was out and also uh, met with other groups as well. So I'll just tell you what they're saying, Lou. They are in absolute dismay uh, about the direction of the country. So when, when I talk to them, uh, you know you know what drives them? They're talking about inflation. They're talking about the economy. They're talking about the border crisis where where just Arizona is so negatively impacted by the by the literally uh, tens of thousands uh, uh, coming across every month into Arizona. Uh, the drug trafficking, the sex trafficking, all of that, the human smuggling, all that's going on with that. They're concerned about our drop in prestige around the world. They're, they're talking about high crime rates. Look, we've got Tucson in Arizona. That is uh, one of the top 12 homicide uh, uh, cities in the country. They're, they're dismayed. Um, if, they, if they've got businesses, they're having trouble getting workers to, to come out and work for them. Uh, because of all of the uh, the incentives to stay away, um, but you know what? They're they're big believers. They're big believers that that we can make a change and get this back. And they they want to make a change. They don't do not want the same trajectory that we've been on. Well, it it is a disaster. I I, I think even you as a, a as the leader of the Freedom Caucus, a conservative a Republican, you've got to be surprised at how much damage Joe Biden has already done to the country in, in his first year in office. Yeah, uh, it, it has been, uh, this is why I said for about six months ago, I said, this is not incompetence. This has got to be by design. Nobody could be this successful at destroying the country and wrapping it up around the axle uh, unless they had a plan and a design. And this, this was their plan. They're Marxists. And they like chaos, and they like division, and they want to centralize government. You, you, in your in your monologue, you talked about uh, our government. Our government is no longer a federal government; it's a national government, and they want that power centralized in D.C. And and in so doing, they're crushing uh, everything that we know to be um, Americana, um, our our legacy, our history, our 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 future, and that's where they are. It's where they are, and they are intent uh, on driving this country to a true single-payer healthcare system. They're intent on that border being wide open. Let, let's talk about the border. You're on the Border Security Caucus. You have been dealing with this issue since you uh, went to Washington. I, I, I've been covering this issue for, for 20 years, and I have to tell you, it's gotten worse, not better, more irrational, not uh, more uh, oriented to the national interest at all, farther from it in point of fact. Your thoughts about what can be done given the power that the Democratic Party holds over both the White House and the Senate and House? Well, in, in Congress, we've got to keep pushing the, the policies forward that have to be pushed, um, even though they're not going to get through. But the American public needs to know that these are the policies that work. The second thing is the states have... I mean, the border states have got to got to take charge. I, I mean, if I were governor here in Arizona, uh, I would have had a special legislative session 
six months ago of dealing with this issue. I'd make sure that, you know, Arizona had a budget surplus and most states did because of all the federal dollars coming in. But what I would do is I'd make sure that the Department of Public Safety was fully funded, that they had their task force down there, that our National Guard was down there. Uh, we've got four counties right along the border and a, and a fifth one that is the funnel for most getaways and drug trafficking in the country. I, and, and, and at least three or four of those sheriffs are willing to arrest and prosecute and their county attorneys will prosecute. I'd make sure they had the resources they need. I'd make sure that that uh, we backed them up. And then I'd make sure we had detention facilities to, to put these people in, in, uh, in uh, detention and hold them uh, until they were deported. Uh, it, which probably won't happen under this administration ever, but that's those are some things the states can do. And then the other thing is to continue to advocate uh, at, at the courts. We've won a number, a, a, a lot of these uh, uh, special interest law firms have had very some good success in the federal courts uh, dealing with the abrogation of their constitutional duty by this administration. So that that's a three-pronged approach um, but if you, you know, if you did certain things, Lou, you and I both know this MPP, uh, remain in Mexico policy, title 42, uh, and build the, build the wall. You do that. And almost immediately you, you start sending a message and this thing calms down. But right now, uh, this administration won't have that will not have that. You know, I, as a cub reporter, uh, early in my career, I was on the, I lived and worked in Yuma, Arizona, loved the community, loved the, uh, the area. I, I'm a, a huge fan of the, the, the high desert, the Sonora desert there. Uh, and at that time, uh, and we're talking 40 years ago, we're talking about then it was drug interdiction. It was uh, human smuggling. Uh, it was a battle between Cesar Chavez uh, and his Chavistas uh, and the green card holders coming across from San Luis Sonora at that port of entry. Uh, and I look at what's happening now, and the, it, it's completely out of control. Uh, and the Border Patrol is in even worse shape than it was then. At least there was a respect for the Border Patrol. Now there obviously isn't, not just the cartels, but uh, every, uh, you know, every independent smuggler and mule uh, has, uh, you know, has his, uh, his or her favorite crossing on that border. Yeah. Lou, uh, uh, look, and look at, uh, the, the guy they just put in charge of CBP. This guy is an open porters, uh, radical advocate. And so things will get worse. Mayorkas has been a disaster. I went down to the border a couple of weeks back, just to just drive down on a Sunday morning down to Yuma. Um, and, and Lou in 45 minutes, I was, I know where the gaps are. I've been down, I go down there all the time. So in within 45 minutes, we see about 150 people just walk across and it's nonchalant anymore, Lou. It's they they just literally walk across. Each one of them's got a cell phone. They're FaceTiming back home saying, "Look, I made it to America. I made it to America." And you know what? They will because um yeah, the Yuma County Sheriff's deputies are down there. They're kind of holding it down at the border, waiting for the CBP guys who, who can't enforce an arrest anymore, who were just transporting and processing. And that's what they were doing. They were just coming, picking these guys up, processing them. And within a couple of days, most of those people, probably 80, 90% of them are going to be dispersed throughout the United States of America, all you over. Know, you know, I, I suspect a few people listening to us at least think, well, you know, they're coming to America. Isn't that nice? Uh, it's wonderful, the, the, the spirit of, uh, uh, you know, the great melting pot. But in point of fact, that isn't what this is about. We had 400,000 anchor babies uh, born in this country last year, more than born in all of the other 49 states. The other state is California with 420,000 uh, babies born. Uh, it's, it's crazy what is happening here. Uh, and and people, there should be logos on some sort of jumpsuit or whatever uh, garb that the illegal immigrant wears across the that border that should have, you know, we're here compliments of the business roundtable or we're here compliments of the Chamber of Commerce. How about, yeah, we're here uh, thanks to, you know, you pick the big box company you want to, uh, compliments of uh, whatever uh, corporation or business that needs uh, cheap labor. Uh, 
And there also ought to be an accounting uh, of how much it's costing American workers because of cheap labor coming into the country and competing with them. It's really disgusting to watch because the public is just so poorly informed on it, uh, whether because of our, our so-called uh, federal government uh, or because of the lobbying of the business, the U.S. multinationals, the big business groups like the Business Roundtable, the Chamber of Commerce. Your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, just trying to unpack that. I mean, I think of what Barbara Jordan uh, said uh, uh, multiple times that the illegal uh, low-wage workers who are coming in um, basically hurt the black community more than any other community um, and, and should be stopped. I mean, that's why Cesar Chavez, as you mentioned earlier, that's why he said, you know, we, don't, we don't want these folks illegally coming in and, and taking our jobs. We're going to unionize the, the farm workers out there. I mean, it, it's, it's a real thing it's a, it, it, that, that these jobs are, are, are being taken. Look, this is happening at the same time, Lou, that the, that the federal government, the national government has been incentivizing people not to work. So by, I mean, that's everything from raising food stamp amounts, child care allotments, uh, unemployment bonuses, et cetera. So you're incentivizing people not to work and you're, yet you're bringing in people to, to work to take their jobs. And, um, and it's not just people, people think about this, you know, in kind of a, a really, uh, you know, a gentrified way. They think, oh, this is just, these are just folks, our neighbors from the South and Mexico that are coming up. No, they have about 140 plus nations represented in the 2 million illegal yep. apprehensions last year. And, and every time I go down there, last time it was four Bangladeshis. The time before was a Syrian. Uh, you've seen people from Turkey, Uzbekistan. I've seen I, all over the world. And China. In, and China. They're coming into Yuma for Pete's sakes. And Lou, here's the, here's the weird thing. They're coming to Mexico on a tourist visa. They're flying to Mexicali and they're taking an Uber over to, uh, Algodonas, which is on the south side, um, and then the walk on across. Yeah. And it's, it, it, you just go, it's, <laughs> it's astounding. It is, it's, it, it's breathtaking. I, I, I think it's pretty clear. This border is a joke. Uh, it, it's not about either the, uh, the Border Patrol, Customs and Border Patrol. They, they've lost control of it uh, because that control has been, the opportunity to control that border has been taken away from them. We actually have a situation in which the Democratic Party has demanded that the Border Patrol not patrol the border, not enforce our border security. That's not an accident. That is the demand of the Obama administration, uh, Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi and the radical Democratic Party. It's that straightforward. And they do so. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, as you say, you're exactly right. That's I mean. I, I'd had enough months and months ago, and so I introduced a resolution to impeach Mayorkas on this issue because it's clearly a violation of his obligation. He is violating the law. He is committing, in my opinion, felonies by aiding and abetting illegal uh, immigration, human smuggling, sex trafficking, drug trafficking. Um, he, they basically said, we've got, we're going to open up our border. He lies to the American people, says the border is secure, but he won't let, like you say, he won't let him enforce. So he, they've directed ICE not to gather up the 1.2 million people with removal orders in the country and send them out. He won't let them enforce the law, and they won't let the Border Patrol enforce the law. And right now, the Border Patrol is a processing unit, and it's not their fault. It's not the, the rank and file. It's not their problem. It is, it is, it is the leaders of this administration who are basically prohibiting them from doing what they're supposed to do, which is protect our border. Well, why won't someone stand up and say, you know, the Mexican cartels control the border, the southern uh, border from the south. But if anybody thinks that the cartels have no influence with the Democratic Party and no control over the northern side of that border, they're, they're hopelessly naive. There's a reason that Mallorcas and the others, uh, you know, with their certified radical credentials, uh, are upending a uh, hundred years of border security and in favor of uh, the interest of other nations and other philosophies and ideologies than, you know, 
the good old American way, truth and justice. I mean, this, this is absolutely amazing that he ever was. I can't understand how in the world he was confirmed. He's always been a radical. Yeah, no, that's you're exactly right. And and I and I think I think of a couple of, of things that, you know, there were two sheriffs, uh, candidates in a county in Texas who both had cartel ties. They both had cartel ties in, in the briefings that we get. Um, they uh, they tell us that that basically if you have any kind of drug uh, uh, use in your community right now, the Mexican cartels have a presence in those communities. And, Absolutely. and, and it expands and expands. Yeah. And now you, now you got the flights going out at midnight again. Um, the, by the way, uh, it, that's not news. You and I both know this. That's been going on. That's been going on. It's just now some people have, have caught on to it. But that those those flights have been going on regularly dispersing people throughout the country. Yeah. Um, and and um, that's been going on since the Clinton administration, by the way. Which yeah. came up with the concept of using the refugee apparatus and uh, regulations in order to bring in whomever they wanted and disperse them into communities, usually in the dark of night. Uh, and, and it's happened I'm from border to border, coast to coast. This isn't about just the southern border or the border states. But it does raise a question. Why in the world, and I think you will agree with this, uh, I, why in the world is Donald Trump the only president who's had the guts to stand up and say the cartels are the enemy here and that they must be dealt with because they are the ones bringing in all of the drugs, methamphetamines, marijuana, cocaine, heroin, fentanyl, that are killing mostly our young people, but 100,000 overdose deaths, and, and they're just considered collateral damage in what is a very cute exercise by the Biden administration and the radical Dems in a uh, open society. Uh, it's, it's disgusting to watch and, and people are inured to it because the media won't deal honestly with the subject. Well, you know, President Trump, he, he, he rocketed to the top of the Republican primary in 2016 because he talked about enforcing the border. And I think most Americans get this, that you have to enforce your border. But, but he also, President Trump understood that the cartels, he, he, President Trump understands it's a business. For the cartels, it is a business. So when they can make more money smuggling humans in, they bring in humans. When they can bring, make more money doing drugs, they're doing drugs, sex trafficking, whatever it is, they all of it, are there to make money. Yeah, all of it is against the law. And that's why yes. it's like the old saying, why do you rob the bank? Because that's where the money is. Uh, right. But the reality is, why don't we have leaders other than President Trump who've got the guts to say the cartels have corrupted both sides of the border, not one. They have corrupted community after community uh, across this country. And the Democratic Party is an ally in their in demand that that border be kept open so that they can deal in sex trafficking and uh, drug smuggling uh, and, and human smuggling. Uh, it, it is, uh, he's the only one who had the guts and we got to find some people, some leaders with guts. One of those people, by the way, I, I just want to change the subject here. If I may, Congressman, uh, it, Marjorie Taylor green, uh, Twitter throws her, uh, off of Twitter bans her for life, uh, because her philosophy, her opinion and her views don't conform to those of, uh, I guess, Dr. Fauci uh, and uh, the Twitter uh, literati. Uh, it's outrageous. Big tech deciding who will be able to speak and that a congressman and a president can't because they disagree with his or her opinion. This is outrageous. Well, it's fascist, in my opinion, though. Um, oh, no doubt. Because what's, hap yeah, what's happening here is, is, is it's a violation of the First Amendment being implemented by a company that's sole, uh, its main uh, subsidization came from regulations that allowed it and permitted it to exist and and expand its censorship role. That's that that's on the federal government, and and so it needs to be changed. I mean, I mean, uh, the day after she got the Twitter ban, Facebook took her down. So I mean, these these folks. 
it isn't whether you agree with her or disagree with her. This should not be happening to anybody. But Marjorie well, grief, she's she's quote. She's actually all she has in the one the piece that they don't like is she actually puts out data supplied by VAERS, which is the National Reporting Service on on uh, vaccines and and an adverse an adverse uh, reaction. Exactly. And so uh, to say we are not going to allow that to go forward because it's it's untrue. Uh, is is absolutely it, it's got to be taken care of and there's there's a couple ways you can do it and i i don't i'm i'm afraid that that uh too, too many of my colleagues want to go a softer way but you, i i think you're gonna have to go big time uh on this there is no softer way yes. either either the government runs this uh country either the congress of the united states represents the american people and if you represent the american people and the constitution how in the heck could you possibly let Dorsey and all those uh, other morons uh, in big tech and uh, social media uh, throw up? I mean, no one's even reacted to the fact President Trump was banned from Twitter, a president of the United States, congressmen and women. It's and yeah. by the way, I give I give Rand Paul all the credit in the world. He just said to heck with YouTube. He walked out. Uh, he's done. And uh, because he's not going to put up with uh, people trying to silence him uh, nor their colleagues. I don't understand why the Republican Party uh, congressman doesn't just say to uh, to Dorsey and the and the owners of uh, Twitter, that's it. You either put her back and uh, stop this now, uh, or we're we're going to take action. Why doesn't the Republican Party leadership have any guts? Is what I'm asking you. Um, you know I've. Lou, I've been wondering that for five five years and, and more now, to be honest with you. But but um, I will just tell you, if you can't just go in and say we're going to revise Section 230 and that'll make things copacetic, you've got to have to destroy their model of uh, anti-competitive uh, monopolistic behavior, in my opinion. Well, you should anyway. I mean, irrespective yeah. of anything, that should be exactly. done because it's ill. You know, it's un-American. To right. give that kind of power. I mean, we've got a company in Apple, $3 trillion. It's doing quarter of a trillion dollar deals with communist China and stiffing our ally, uh, Taiwan. It's incredible what they're doing. Yeah. Well, and, 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 and um, there, there is a movement within the Republicans. It's, it's in my opinion, it's it's the same old thing that you've always talked about, Lou. There's this the, the uniparty Republicans, and they're the they're the people who are the make America great again, the American first uh, Republicans. And so there's that internal uh, dissension going on constantly. But the uh, at least I will say, for the first time in in quite some time, I am actually hearing Kevin uh, McCarthy talk about we have got to stay. And back up Marjorie Taylor Greene. I he hasn't done he hasn't done a thing. I you yeah, know, I, he's got an yeah. interesting a new tone of patter, but it's just patter. And I can't yeah. stand any more fake Republicans. If he wants to, it has do to be real. Then he's got to do it. And by the way, I'm he's a very likable guy, or he couldn't be a politician, right? But yeah. I cannot stand the fact that he can't muster the spine to stand up for her and make things happen because he has that power. And if, if Mitch McConnell wants to mess with him, let him mess with him because McCarthy either stands on principle and leads the, the Republican party and crushes the rhino influence within it. That has been so deleterious to, to the national interest, the Republican interest. I, I mean, having, you know, watching uh, Mitt Romney walk around, uh, Liz Cheney talking like they're some sort of Republicans on Sunday television is absurd. Uh, but anyway, you get the last word here, Congressman. I, I appreciate your time. I appreciate your views. And, and thank you. Thank you, Congressman, for leading the fight uh, in uh, every way you can in the House of Representatives. Well, Lou, it's it's just great to be with you and, and and have this conversation again. I miss having our regular conversations that we used to have, and and uh, thank you for what you do. I mean, you I always considered you 
<clears throat> as someone who really raised the level of discourse uh, to to allow people to see very clearly what's going on. And I and I think you have a great vision for that. And I uh, I'm not, I know I'm not going to quit fighting. I know you won't quit fighting. I, I really believe the American people want us to keep fighting. Absolutely. And that's we're getting back to where we started with. That's what I tell you. My my people tell me all the time. Fight harder, Andy. Fight harder. And uh, when next time you see Kevin McCarthy, tell the minority leader, uh, you know how much America loves him. Give him a big bear hug, <laughs> and <laughs> and get him to fighting. Actually, fighting. Not to, you know we don't want to hear fighting words. We want to see a fight, and we want to see the Republicans win it. Congressman, Amen. it's 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 great to have you with us. I wish you all the very best. Look forward to talking with you soon. Thank you. Thank you. Congressman Andy Biggs of the great state of Arizona. Join us again tomorrow for the Great America podcast. Stay in the fight. Truth, justice, and the American way will prevail against all enemies, against all odds.